This morning, James chapter 1. Last week we were reminded from James 1, 22 through 25 that we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only, lest we deceive ourselves. And we talked about the idea of being a doer of the word is that when we hear it, we contemplate it, we mull it over, we think about it, and we say, how does this work in my own life? And how can I implement what I've heard and what I've been taught into the way I live? And how can I make, how can it make me more like Christ? And so it's much more than just Oh, I heard something, but it's, I heard something, and I want to know how it fits into how I live for the Lord. So we're to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And if we don't do that, we're deceiving ourselves about who we really are before God. This week, we look at that next verse. It says in James 1.27, Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this. To look after orphans and widows in, the, in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. Once again, that we get to continue in our worship this morning. Our worship in the Word. And I pray, God, that we might look at it, that we might once again be doers of the Word and not hearers only, lest we deceive ourselves. And God, I pray that we might be honest about our walk with you this morning. I pray, God, that for every one of us that are here today, Lord, that we would contemplate our own journey, our walk with you and how we're doing, whether or not we are doers or hearers only, whether or not we are applying what we have been taught. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we're challenged about these three areas, Lord, that we would, Lord, be honest about it, whether or not we're doing a good job with it, whether or not we need to improve. And, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and, and Lord, not just challenge us, but change us. And I pray, God, for each and every one of us here, Lord, that we might start with ourselves as individuals. And, uh, God, that you would be honored. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week... I want us to see what pure and undefiled religion is before our God. Um, for us with ourselves this morning, there's a lot of religion in the world. And there are a lot of religions in the world. Um, I think, and, and as pastor, I've said there is a church for every woman wham under the sun. Uh, if you want to do this, there's a church for that. If you want a church that believes this, there's a church for that. There's a church for everything under the sun that you may possibly want or don't want. They're out there. A little bit of searching, a little bit of time on Google, you'll find it. There are a lot of religions. And there's a lot of religion. Um, And as we say by a lot of religion, there's a lot of rules and regulations. If you do this, then you'll draw close. And it's amazing, as I was looking at uh, on the Internet of the definition of religion, you can't really find a definition of religion. You can find 10,000 of them, and they're all different. You know, whether you draw close to your God or God's, or whether you... Draw close to your, um, uh, as it said, the, the nebulous being that's out there that drives you, the inner power, the inner beings. I mean, there's a million definitions. They're out there. A lot of religion and what you have to do to maintain a good standing within that religion. Whether it's rules, whether it's regulations, whether it's the do's, the don'ts. There are a lot of things out there. 
But according to James 1.27, religion that is both pure and undefiled should not even have a hint of selfishness. Notice several interesting words or phrases found in the verses that describe the right kind of religion. If there's such thing as a right kind of religion, he gives us a definition of what it is. In James chapter 1, verse 27. Once again, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Well, the first word or phrase I want to look at is the word pure. And we have an idea of what pure means. It has the idea of being clean. It has the idea of being fresh. It has the idea of being spotless. In other words, there is no hint of selfishness here. The idea behind a pure religion is that it's clean. Secondly, it's undefiled. And this is where a lot of religions go south. You see, almost every religion under the sun can find its source in a person or a being. And as long as the source is a person other than Jesus Christ, it's going to be flawed. And every time you find a religion, a denomination that is based on a man, you're going to find struggle and you're going to find problems. That's why it must be rooted in Jesus Christ as the only person that we can follow. So it needs to be undefiled. It has the idea of being free from all contamination. It has to be free from contamination. And if you think about it, there are a lot of religions that are contaminated by what? Prejudice? Opinion? Bias? My own desires? My selfishness? See, a lot of religion is based on what I think one needs versus what God knows we need. And if it's not rooted in God and in His Son, Jesus Christ, it's going to be contaminated. So first of all, it must be pure. Secondly, it must be undefiled, which has the idea that there is no contamination. And then number three, before our God. The right kind of religion is not for the world, but for our God and Heavenly Father. In other words, religion is not about building up a group or an organization or a body of people who stand for a certain something. Religion is for our God. Our relationship with Him is for Himself. He created us to be a peculiar people unto Himself. And I wonder, according to Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, He said also that we are created to bring Him pleasure. Are we doing that? So it's before God. God is not interested in man's religion. He's interested in a relationship with Himself. So it's not about the rules, the regulations. It's about a relationship with Him. And you know, every good relationship is based off two things. Communication and love. I've spent enough time talking about communication, but let's look at the love thing just for a moment. And we're going to see that love is a motivation. And love will make us do a lot of things that otherwise we wouldn't do. But according to James 1.27, we can clearly see that the quote-unquote right kind of religion before God entails three things. And I want us to see this. First of all, number one, it says... It looks after the orphans and widows. First of all, the orphans. The word look is an interesting word here. Uh, it has the idea of visit or the idea of caring for after orphans. Looking after, caring after the orphans. Secondly, looking or visiting with the idea of caring for the widows. And the same Greek root word for look or visit is the word translated overseer or bishop. I find that very interesting. 
In the Greek language, the same word, the root word, that is translated look or visit or care for, is the same Greek word that is translated in many places, bishop or overseer. And when you think about that, it changes the dynamic of what it means to care for something or to some care for someone. Um, it carries the weight, if you will, of overseeing the affairs or needs of the ones intended. In other words, it's not just saying, oh, there's some orphans over there. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, there's, there's some widows in the church. Oh, that's great. It has the idea of there's weight involved. There's responsibility involved. It's the idea of there is no one to care for them. I wonder what can we do to help them. James 2 talks about works without faith is dead. And he talks about in this passage of who seeing need just turns, turns his back and walks away. That's not true faith. True faith, true religion cares for that person. They take the time to deal with that person. So the same Greek word here is interesting. Overseer or bishop. So you get the idea. It's not a simple drop by for a coffee. It's not a simple chat in the doorway of the, of the, of the widow's home. It's not a simple, well, there's an orphan over there. I wonder if I can just give $3 to him and hopefully he'll get something to eat today. It's a different idea than that. It carries weight. And God has always had a responsibility and an interest in man caring for man. We see this in a couple of places. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 20 and look at verse 28. We're going to look at a couple of passages here. Acts 20 and verse 28. It's the first one there. says this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed to you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now think about this. Here's the word overseer that's translated from the same word. And I want to come back to this thing in just a moment. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is the man who desires the office. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This is saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work, and an overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, enabled teacher, so forth. Um, when you start seeing the list of what the characteristics of an overseer are, and that word overseer and... Um, carries the same idea of caring for someone, we understand that there's greater responsibility involved, don't we? We begin to see that it's not just, well, there's that group over there and they could probably use a little bit of money, so let's just kind of flick some money that way and maybe they'll, do, they'll be better for another day, another week, another month. It's more than that. Um, if I could just take the liberty just for a moment, what kind of a pastor would I be if, if you called me on a regular basis and I never returned phone calls? I find out that Wayne's in the hospital. Oh, don't worry, buddy. Wayne, Wayne is just Wayne. He'll be all right. I'm not going to bother with it. He called me up and said, hey, Pastor, my, my, my dad's died. And I was like, oh, you know, it's okay. He, we know he's saved. He's going to heaven. Oh, my, oh Pastor, my, my wife was just got sick. We're taking her to the hospital. Oh, she'll be okay. Don't worry about it. What, what kind of a pastor would I be as an overseer if I treated the folks that way? You say, where did this guy come from? Get rid of him. Right? I mean, you'd likely say that and you'd have every right to do that. But no, because I'm their pastor, 
we respond. We go to the hospital and we talk on the phone late night and we get up early and we go places and we meet and we talk and we share and we bring meals by and we encourage and we write letters and send emails and all these things. Why? Because that's the responsibility of a pastor who is an overseer who takes care of his flock, right? That's what you expect. That's what kind of what we expect God wants us to do. And we put our heart into that. It's the same word for looking after the orphans. It's the same word for visiting the orphans. It's not the doorstep visit. It's not just a cup of coffee. It's the idea of there is weight. There is responsibility. And they have some serious need. And I wonder what I can do to get behind it and help it. And guess what? This was given to... This command is given to a body of believers as it was not just in this location but in other locations in Scripture. The responsibility is given to the body of believers, the church. And I think that's why it's really neat is we went to Africa. We saw a little uh, little fellow that needed support and Mike and I looked at each other and said, let's do it. Here's a guy who has no, no parents, been wandering on his own for a couple of years. I would say that meets the criteria of being in distress. You know, sometimes we do a good job and sometimes we don't. But we want to do all that we can so that we can stand before God and say we've been obedient to this command. And so we took care of this one little fellow. You know what? I, I, I tell you what, I would love to bring them all home. I really would. When I went to India, I loved seeing those little kids. I mean, we were in Chatless Compound and we're seeing all these kids, you know, by the dozens everywhere. And I always want to load them up and bring them home. But, you know, it's just a drop in the bucket. There are so many kids out there. There are so many people. And I wonder if we as a church have not done a good enough job in taking care of those orphans that are in need. We need to do all our part. We need to do our part to, to, to see God at work in this area as well. So we need to look after with the idea of caring for and holding the weight and the responsibility of these little orphans. So not only man to man, but also God to man. In Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1 and verse 68 says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has visited and provided redemption for His people. There's the word again. He visited. In some of your translations it says, Visit the orphans and the widows. When God visited Israel, what did He do? Did He just take notice of it and walk away? He said, Well, that's Israel. They're doing their own thing again. Or did he say, you know what? In Exodus chapter 3, I've seen their torment by reason of their taskmasters. I've heard their cries. I've seen what they've been put through. I know their term, the, 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 the turmoil that they're going through. I, I hear their cry. I, I know everything that's going on. And I'm come down to deliver them. And I want to bring them out of that place to a land that flows with milk and honey. And, and he says, I see everything that's going on. And he says, I want something better for them. When Jesus or when God looked down on earth and he saw those children of Israel and he visited them, he didn't, he didn't just take notice. He acted upon what he saw according to this verse. But look also in verse 78. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 78 says this Because of God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to, get, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So he doesn't just take notice. He acts upon what he is seeing. 
And it's not enough just to take notice. We can all take notice of things that are going on in our world. We can all take notice of the problems. We can list problems all day long. But it's not just enough to take notice of them. We need to act on them. But not only that, in Acts chapter 15, in Acts chapter 15 and verse 14, Actually, verse 13, after they stopped speaking, James responded, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. He intervened. He came down. He didn't just take notice. He acted upon what he saw. And then in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6, we'll not take the time to look there, but it just says he remembered. He remembers. He doesn't just take notice. He doesn't just have a knowledge of it. He acts upon what he has seen and what he knows. So here it is. If we're going to adequately visit, oversee, remember, we must be a people who both communicate and love if we know, if we are going to have the right, quote unquote, kind of religion. John chapter 13, verse 35 says this, By this all men will know, by what? Our love. And if we don't have love, we'll not act in the right kind of actions. If we don't love the widow, if we don't love the orphan, we'll do nothing and change nothing. So it has to be stemmed in our love. First of all, for God, and then for people. And by this, will all men know that we are disciples, by our what? Our love. And here's the challenge. Um, I know that there are a lot of people who are in need. And not just widows and orphans, but there are a lot of people who struggle. What is our mindset towards helping people who struggle? If you're like me, and I have to admit, ashamedly, early on, my idea of helping people is, well, if they wouldn't have made stupid choices, they wouldn't be there to begin with. We think that in our minds, don't we? Um, just this week, there was a thing on, uh, I think it was a Facebook article, and it was really interesting. I don't really spend a lot of time there. But it was really interesting. Another friend of mine posted it. And it was about a homeless man who did have a home, who did have a family, who did have everything in life that we all want and so richly enjoy. But as he was going through life, um, not because of alcoholism, not because of drugs, not because of anything other than illness, he came on some rough times. And through a series of circumstances, he lost his home when he couldn't pay his rent. He lost the, the ability to take care of his family. And his wife kicked him out. And the bottom line is he was just down and struggling. And uh, he became a panhandler, putting the change out, asking for dimes. And, and he said, the thing is, everybody that walks by, get a job! Get a job! You know, and they're just yelling at him as he walks by. And he says, I sat there, and he broke down in tears as he was talking and giving the interview. He said, I would love to have a job. He said, I go in for an interview, I look like a bum. Who hires a bum? He said, they asked me, how can we get a hold of you? I don't have a phone. Well, how are you going to get to work if we give you? I, I don't have a car. I would love to have a car. I would love to have a phone. I would love to have a place to say, I can take a shower and get cleaned up for work in the morning. I can't do it. Because nobody will give me that, that, that moment, that opportunity. And in our minds, we say, well, if you went to make poor choices... You, you, you wouldn't be in this situation anyway. And because you made poor choices, I'm not going to help you. 
and we selfishly hold on to everything that God has given to us. Sometimes people aren't there because of drugs. Sometimes they're not there because of alcohol. Sometimes they're not there other than for any other reason other than circumstances of life. Yes, does God control those? Yes. But when a man is an unbeliever, how does he know that? They need to see God in action. And how do they see God in action? By our love. Um, just this last week, I'm always leery. Uh, probably three times this last week in Walmart parking lot, I had somebody ask me for money. Anybody have that happen in the last couple weeks? Three times this week, last couple weeks. And, um, and I'm always leery because, oh, we just ran out of gas. We're going to Buffalo. We... And in your mind, you're going, uh... And you make a judgment call right then and there. Are they being honest or are they not? And you don't know. You don't know. And I am usually a little bit of a sucker in that I will help. I don't want to see someone go without. Not much, but I'll try to do a little something to say, you know what, I do want to carry. If you are telling the truth, if you're not, that's between you and God. But I want to do what I can do to help those in need. But folks, we as a church have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to help those orphans that are in need, to help the widows that are in need. Um, this is a different day and age that we live in. I would have, um, I'm not old enough to have had some of the experiences of some of you in this room. But I can remember four or five years ago, um, one of the families in our church saying, I lost $190,000. I worked for 40-some years. I put everything into our retirement, quote-unquote. And then the stock market went out and crashed and lost our footing underneath us. We lost everything that we were planning to retire on. I've never lost that kind of money. I, I, I don't even know what it's like. But I can only imagine at 70 years old saying, boy, I have to go back to work. That's devastating. And we have a responsibility when there is truly a need to help out with that with those in the body of Christ. And I think we need to do that more and more. God has always loved and cared for those groups of people. We see that throughout Scripture. Look at Psalm 68, verse 5. Psalm chapter 68, verse 5. says this, God in His holy dwelling is a father of the fatherless and a champion of widows. God provides homes for those who are deserted, and He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious live in a scorched land. God cares for those in need. And if He cares, so must we. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 22, I'm not going to turn there, but it has the idea, once again, of caring for the orphans. In Deuteronomy 14, 28, and 29, God cares for the orphans. In Jeremiah 7, God cares for the widows and the orphans. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, once again, we are to have a heart as God has a heart for people, so must we. You see there in the screen, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, we are to support widows who are genuinely widows, those who have no way to support themselves. We have a responsibility there. And we are to have a heart of love that reaches out to those in need. Turn your Bible to 1 John chapter 4.
First John chapter 4, I want to read verses 7 through 12. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves it has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and His love is perfected in us. Love is a key. And if there's no love, we'll not help others around us. In Matthew chapter 5, if you would turn there, Matthew chapter 5. In verse 43. It says, You have heard that it is said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you are great, only your brothers... Greet only your brothers. What are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Bottom line, we are to show love. And then John thirteen thirty four and 35, the commandment that He's given to us, that we love one another. What is the parameter of extending help? According to James one twenty seven, we are to help both orphans and widows who are in distress. The bottom line, there's a need there. And I wonder if we're willing to help them in a way that it takes on the responsibility. Oh, we can't do it all. It'd be wonderful if we could say, hey, no, don't worry, we got it all covered. But wonder what we could do. And I wonder if we're doing enough of what we can do. And then number three, not only to love and care for the orphans, not only to care for the widows, but also number three, in the description of what is the right kind of religion, where to keep oneself unstained by the world. The word keep has the idea of maintaining something. If you keep something, you are holding on to it. If I say, hey, keep this $100 bill, <laughs> you're going to say, absolutely. I'm going to take the $100, I'm going to hold on to it. And I'm not going to let it go, I'm not going to give it away, I'm just going to keep it. You're going to maintain it. The word keep has the idea of maintaining something. We're going to hold on to it, we're not going to let it go, and this is something that's going to be perpetual in our daily life. So this is the struggle. In fact, turn over to Romans chapter 7 if you would. Romans chapter 7. And this is the struggle. Verse 14 says this. For we know what the law, that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh. Sold into sin's power. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do. But I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin that lives in me. 
So I discover this principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What's he saying here? In my mind, I want to do what's right. But in my flesh, I give in. And I agree that if I give in, then sin is it's dominating me. It's, it's controlling me. And that's not good. But in the Spirit, God controls, and that's where I need to be, and that's what I have a hard time doing. So what does this have to do with this? Well, he says we're to keep unstained by the world. We're to keep unstained by the world. If we are not going to let the world stain us, contaminate us, listen, how do we keep unstained in the world that we live in? We've heard the phrase that Jesus was in the world, but not of the world. Is that a true statement? He said you can't get out of the world, otherwise you have to die. You live here. But we don't have to be taken in by everything that this world has to offer. We don't have to give in to every little thing that happens that we see. The world's philosophies, the world's um, uh, mindset, we do not have to adopt it. Because God says we are a different people. There is something that should be innately different about us. In John chapter 15... Verses 18 and 19, it says this. Verse 18. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, because I've chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If he persecuted me, he also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Verse 21, but they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. We live in a world that is corrupt. We live in a world that doesn't understand who God is and what God has for us and what he's done for us. So why should we expect anything different from them? And someone said, well, if you can't beat them, join them. No, we still take a stand because it's the right thing to do. And you have to understand that the world is not going to understand that. So we're in this world, but we don't have to be part of it. And you have to understand our flesh is going to say, hey, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? Why can't I participate with this? And why can't I go over there? There are things in a part of it that are not right. And when you take the stand. In fact, 1 John chapter 2 tells us the problem with it. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. There's the parameter. We're not to love the world or the things that are part of this world. The world's philosophies, the world's mindsets. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes... And the pride of in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with his lust is what? Passing away. But the one who does God's will remains forever. The bottom line is there is a choice. If we want to have the right kind of religion, God's Word says in James 1.27, the right kind of religion is this, is that we care for, we visit, we look after the widows. We care, we visit, we look after the orphans. And number three, we keep ourselves unstained by the world. 
that's a struggle. I don't know about you, but we wake up in a world that says you got to have this, and your life would be better with that. And if you just go over here, you'll enjoy that so much more. And if we're not careful, we buy into what the world has to offer. And there is something better. His name is Jesus Christ. Something more. Something more worth living for. Something more that should dominate our lives. So keeping unstained, he has the idea of being purified. And First John tells us, he who has the hope of Jesus Christ living in him, he who has the hope of being there when Christ returns, does what? Purifies himself until he comes. According to First John, what are we doing to remain pure in a world that is corrupted by sin? We can't get out of the world until either we die or Christ comes. So that means every day we wake up with a flesh nature, a sin nature, and it's going to be a struggle. But we make up our minds that we're going to do what's right. You see, I don't want just religion. See, religion says I have to go to church every Sunday. Religion says I have to give. Religion says I need to do. Religion says I need to wear. Religion says I can't do that. I have to do that. I don't want any of that. I want a relationship of love with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that says because I love Him, I want to please Him, I'm going to take care of the widows. Because I love Him and I want to please Him, I'm going to help out with the orphans. Because I love Him and I want to please Him, I'm going to try to remain pure in my life before Him. That's what true Christianity is all about. It's not about the rules. It's not about the regulations. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's all about a relationship with Him that stemmed out of a heart of love. And that heart of love says, I take on the responsibility of caring for this. And by this, all men will know that I'm what? His disciples by my love. So is that a good thing or a bad thing? By being obedient to Him, people will see that and know that I'm of God. You have to remove all the selfishness. You have to remove all the barriers. I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times when my wife will say, um, hey, we're going to eat in about a half hour. And then the phone will ring. And you know what happens because I am who I am? Yeah, I sometimes irritate her and I don't go sit down and eat. I run to whatever person in the church has called my phone and says, I need this or that. I've just found out in the years of serving the Lord, I have to sometimes put my own selfish ambitions aside. Sometimes I have to say no to the self, no to what I want to do and say, hey, so-and-so's hurting, I need help. So-and-so's going through a struggle, we need help. How many times have we gone to the hospital, 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 in the morning, all through the night, because someone was hurting? That's love. You don't have to say it. It speaks for itself. That's what God wants us to do for those who are in distress. Those who are legitimately orphans. Those who are legitimately widows. And the third thing, keeping ourselves unstained. It's a challenge. You're going to walk out of here and say, I wonder what I can do to help. <laughs> just so happens I know a whole bunch of orphans that need supported. We can get involved with that. And I also know some widows that need some help too, and they need some encouragement from time to time. So, Pastor, how do I do that? Write a check. I'll make sure they get it. We have a caring fund. It'll go to them. But we have people who do need help. And it's the responsibility that we have as believers in the body of Christ to step up to the plate and do what God has asked us to do, to have the right kind of religion before God.
Let's pray.